Naaman was a great general in the Syrian army. He had won many victories for his boss, the king. But the problem was that Naaman had leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease which, although treatable today, in the time of the Bible, it was a terminal illness. Well, Naaman heard from someone from the nation of Israel who was working as his servant. Naaman heard that there's a God in Israel who could save him and that there was a prophet in Israel who could access this God. And so Naaman says to his boss, the king, hey, could you write me a letter of recommendation? Could you write me a letter of commendation so that I could go to the king of Israel and ask for help from him, from his God? The king of Syria, who loves this general, who doesn't want to lose him to death, says, yes, of course. Writes him a letter of recommendation, takes it to the king of Israel. The king of Israel reads this and says, who am I? I don't control life and death. How can I help this guy who has leprosy? And he tears his robes because he thinks the king of Syria is just trying to pick a fight with me. He's stronger than we are. They're going to just look for an excuse to come in and invade us. Well, someone hears that this is going on and tells Elisha, and Elisha says to the king, send him to me. (laughs) Then he'll know that there is a God in Israel and a prophet who listens. And so Naaman goes to see Elisha the prophet. And Elisha says to Naaman, yes, you have leprosy. Yes, that is a terminal uh, illness. But go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be clean. And I love Naaman's response. Because it's the exact response I would have in this situation. Naaman says, but it says Naaman went away angry. And said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. I can't tell you how many times I've said to God, God, why don't you just wave your hand and make the problem go away? Like, I've got a friend who's got cancer. Why don't you just wave your hand and cause the cancer to go away? Why do you ask that that person has to call the elders of the church and the elders of the church have to anoint him with oil and we've got to pray over him for healing? Just say the word and make the cancer go away. Or God, why don't you just wave your hand and cause all the money that I need for the missions trip to show up in the account? Why do I have to send out letters to people? It's embarrassing. It's humbling to have to ask other people for money. You've got all the money there is. Just wave your hand and make it happen. Or Jesus, why when you come across this man who's been blind from birth, birth, do you spit on the ground, make mud, put it on his eyes, tell him to go wash in the pool of Siloam? Just wave your hand. Just say the word. Why do we have to go through all these weird things in order to have the healing occur? Well, that's how Naaman feels. He's like, look, just, okay, look, if there's a God, can't he just do this without us having to go wash in rivers? It doesn't make any sense. The Jordan's not very clean. The rivers of Damascus, now those are clean rivers. If I was going to go rinse in a river, I would go to the ones in Damascus where I'm from. So Naaman goes away angry. But his servants come to him like, hey, look, Naaman, hold on a second here. 
if the prophet Elisha had asked you to do something really big, like travel to this faraway mountain to find this one herb that you need to make a magic potion that would heal you, surely you would do that. Or if the prophet asked you to do something really difficult, like go and gather a whole bunch of money to be able to appease the gods or give some sort of gift in order to purchase your healing, you would do that, wouldn't you? And Naaman's like, well, yeah. Why not just obey then? Why not just go to the Jordan River, even though it doesn't make any sense, be washed and be healed? So Naaman says, all right. And so he does. He obeys, and he's miraculously healed. Often, God gives us something to obey that makes no sense to us, humanly speaking. He does this in his kindness to give us the opportunity to exercise faith so that in our faith he can bless us. Let me say that again. God often gives us something to do, something to obey that makes no sense, humanly speaking, to us or to others. The rivers of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan River are not clean. There's no reason to go be baptized or to go be dunked in the Jordan River. Why not use the rivers of Damascus? But God often gives us something to do that makes no sense to us from a human point of view. But he does this in his kindness so that by commanding us to obey, we can exercise faith. Not understanding, faith. And in our faith, God can bless us. Well, this morning we want to look at that principle in action in the book of Joshua. So please take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 5. We'd love it if you used one of the church Bibles. And in those Bibles, it's page 172. If you find one of the church Bibles, page 172, Joshua chapter 5. Pastor Tom did a great job taking us through Joshua's three and four important chapters in the book of Joshua, and we got to look at crossing the Jordan River, and we got to look at setting up stones of remembrance, of remembering what God has done. In Joshua chapter 5, where we are in the story is the children of Israel have now crossed the Jordan River, and they are setting feet in the promised land. And we get to look at the very first thing they do in the promised land after having given thanks to God and remembered what God did for them. Joshua chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 2 through 9. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during, during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, 
a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. The very first thing that God has Israel do when they get into the promised land, this land they've been longing for for so long, after they remember God's miraculous work in getting them across the Jordan, the very first thing that God has them do is to be circumcised. Why? Well, in Genesis chapter 17, God gives circumcision to Abraham and his descendants as a sign. And in Genesis chapter 17, we find out why circumcision was important and why it was necessary for the children of Israel to be circumcised when they entered the land. God says this in Genesis 17. So again, I know I put it on the screen here. But if we were turning in our Bibles, we would be turning back towards the front, which means we've turned back 400-some years. So we're talking now about God speaking to Abraham. Abraham will be the father of the people we're reading about in Joshua. This is what God says to Abraham. As for me, this is my covenant with you, Abraham. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your generations after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. God made Abraham some amazing promises. That he was going to bless Abraham. That he was going to make him the father of many nations. <clears throat> that descendants would come from him more than could be counted. And that God would give to those descendants a piece of land called Canaan where Abraham was residing at the time of Genesis 17. Well, Abraham's descendants left and went to Egypt because there was a famine in the land, and for 400 years they stayed in Egypt, where they were an enslaved and oppressed people. At the end of 400 years, God sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh to let his people go, and Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt to the edge again of this promised land, this Canaan land. When they got to the edge of the promised land and it was time to go in, God commanded them to trust him, to go into the land. But the people of Israel at that time said, no way. 
They refused to obey, and so God had them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. At the end of those 40 years, Joshua replaces Moses, leads the children of Israel back to the promised land, and as we saw over the last couple of weeks, takes them through the Jordan River into the promised land. And here in Joshua chapter 5, the children of Israel are now setting foot in the land that God had promised and sworn on an oath to give to Abraham. The sign of that covenant that God had made was circumcision. And the problem was is that the generation that wandered in the wilderness, they were all circumcised. The men were circumcised. But they did not circumcise their children. And so while they wandered in the wilderness, everyone who was circumcised died. And the children, the next generation that grew up, they were not circumcised. And so the first thing that God has Israel do when they enter into the land after all these years is to go through the rite or the ceremony of circumcision. And this passage teaches us three things about the purpose of circumcision in the Old Testament for the children of Israel as a sign of the covenant. Number one, circumcision was an outward act of obedience that made very little sense but was an opportunity for the children of Israel to express their faith in God. It's perhaps the quintessential Old Testament example of what happened with Naaman the Syrian. Elisha says to Naaman, go bathe yourself in the Jordan River. Naaman says, that doesn't make any sense. There are cleaner waters, better rivers, other places. Why would I do this? But God was giving Naaman something to obey that made no sense. So that in his obedience, God could bless him. Circumcision made no sense. The Bible doesn't try to justify it medically or socially or any other reason. God just simply says, this is for you to obey. And the reason he did that was in his kindness that he might be able to bless their obedience. But the wilderness generation, they were a faithless generation. They disobeyed. That's why they didn't circumcise their children. Now that generation is gone. This generation has come into the land and God says you're going to circumcise, be circumcised because circumcision is an outward sign, an act of obedience that makes no sense. But God asks them to do it so that he might bless them through it. The second thing that we learn about circumcision is that it was an outward reminder that they belonged to God. That's what God says to Abraham in Genesis 17. Look, I'm going to do some really amazing stuff. The covenant that I'm going to keep with you, the sign or the reminder that I'm going to do these things is circumcision. And here they are. After 440 years back in the land where Abraham, their forefather, had stood and God had made him a promise. They're back in the land, and although there had been some twists and turns, God's been faithful. Here they are. He's kept his promise. He's made Abraham into a great nation. He's giving him now, his descendants, the land, just like he promised in Genesis 17. And the covenant of circumcision in the Old Testament was a reminder that they belonged to God. 
He was responsible. He had made them promises. He, God, had to keep them. The third thing that we learn about the purpose of circumcision from Joshua chapter 5 is that it was an outward sign designed to roll away the reproach, the sin, the guilt, the shame of their previous life. Verse 9 says, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Israel had been a nation enslaved. They had been a nation that was mistreated. When you go through that kind of systemic slavery, the worst thing that happens is it destroys your dignity as a people. It destroys who you are and what you think of yourself. That's what Israel had been through. And the shame and the guilt of being repressed, of being oppressed and abused, all of the mockery of if you've got a God, why doesn't he save you? All that stuff. God says, today's a new day. Today's a new beginning. I'm putting you into your land, and circumcision is the sign that we're on to a new start. We're on a new journey, a new life. All that shame, all that guilt, it's gone. And so God gives to the nation of Israel circumcision for three reasons. One, an outward act of obedience that made very little sense, but allowed God to bless them when they obeyed. Two, a reminder that they belong to God and that God had promises he needed to fulfill. And three, an opportunity to be done with the the sin and the shame and the guilt of their past and to start a new journey and a new life with God. Now that is an interesting history lesson. At least I hope it's interesting. But the question is, what does that have to do with us today? How are we supposed to obey Joshua chapter 5? How are we supposed to put this into practice? Well, we're not supposed to literally do circumcision. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 18 and 19 say, Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he's called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. The point of Joshua chapter 5 for us today is not that every male should be circumcised. If you're circumcised, great. If you're not circumcised, great. It doesn't matter. The point that God is making is we, you and I, who are Christians, don't put Joshua chapter 5 into practice by literally being circumcised. Circumcision is of no value whatsoever anymore for us who are Christians. How do we put Joshua chapter 5 into practice? Well, Colossians chapter 2 says this. In him, meaning in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Meaning, not literally circumcised, but spiritually circumcised. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in what? Baptism. In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying there is a connection between circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament for believers. 
You see, the thing about the Jordan River is that while it represents many things, and like Tom pointed out, it represents the assignment that God gives us that we have to obey, ultimately what it represents is it represents salvation. You see, on the east side of the Jordan River is wilderness. Wilderness represents death. There's no life there. It's barren rock. It's brown. It's dry. It's dead. That's where death takes place in the wilderness. On the west side of the Jordan River is life. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's green. It's productive. It's fruitful. To move across the Jordan River is to go from death to life. And so the Jordan River represents in the book of Joshua salvation. That's why Elisha the prophet has name in the Syrian, get baptized in the Jordan River. That's why he tells him to go dunk himself in the Jordan River. It's not that it's the cleanest river on earth. It's that the Jordan symbolizes the movement from death to life. And when the name in the Syrian goes into the Jordan, he's covered in death. When he comes out of the Jordan, he has life. That was true of the children of Israel. When they went into the Jordan, they were coming from death. When they come out on the other side, they have life. And the Jordan represents salvation. Well, what's the first act that God has them do when they get through their salvation experience? The rite of circumcision which corresponds for Christians to the ceremony of baptism. The first act of obedience after you've come through salvation. Now Israel doesn't have the whole land yet, but they have now obeyed God and moved into the land. We do not yet have the promised land of heaven, but if you are a Christian here today, you have trusted Christ and been brought across the Jordan River from death to life, and the first thing that God wants us to do is to go through the ceremony of baptism. So from this passage, we learn three things about baptism. Number one, baptism is an outward sign or an outward act of obedience that makes very little sense. Why should a person be dunked in a tank of water and lifted out of that tank while people are saying words to them. Can't they just take a shower? Do we really need to go through this? And nowhere in the Bible are we given any sort of rationale for why we do baptism. We're simply told this is a command from God that everyone who's a believer in Jesus is to be baptized. And the point is it's an outward act of obedience that makes very little logical sense. But when we do it, we have the opportunity to exercise faith. And in that faith, God blesses us. Second, what we learn about baptism is, baptism is a ceremony or a sign that reminds us that we belong to God. 
That's why when we baptize people here at Calvary Church, we ask them if they have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we ask them, do you renounce Satan, this world, and your own evil desires, and promise to follow Christ and Christ alone? It's a reminder, look, you belong to God. God has made you and I a series of promises that he must keep. He's got to walk with us. He's got to take care of us. He's got to lead us safely to heaven. Baptism is a reminder. We belong to God. He must fulfill his promise. There'll be some twists and turns along the way. There may be some times in which we're in Egypt. There may be some times we're wandering in the wilderness. But God will be faithful to get us to where he's promised to take us. The third thing we learn about baptism is that it's an outward sign that our past guilt, shame, and embarrassment has been rolled away, has been washed away. The reproach of who we used to be, the mistakes that we made, things that were done to us, the embarrassment, the guilt of all that junk Baptism is the outward sign that we are being buried with Christ and raised with Him to new life. That we are starting on a new journey with God and whatever came before is gone. All that old stuff, all that guilt, all that sin washed away. And we're now on a journey with Christ. So how do you do Joshua chapter 5? Get baptized. How do you obey Joshua chapter 5 and not just read it as some sort of interesting historical story? Get baptized. That's the point. God's saying if you're going to obey Joshua chapter 5, I'm not talking literally about circumcision for you as a believer in Jesus. I'm talking about baptism that I have given to Christians, a ceremony by which we do the same thing. It means the same thing. And the command from Joshua 5 to you and I is, Get baptized. Now with that, let me answer four questions about baptism. Number one, <clears throat> do I need to be baptized in order to be saved? Like if God is commanding me to be baptized, is that a requirement in order to be part of God's kingdom, in order to make it to heaven, in order to have God as my father and for me to be his son or his daughter? No. It's very important to realize that Israel is being circumcised in Joshua chapter 5, not Joshua chapter 1. The Jordan River represents their salvation. It represents the fact that God is their father, that God has watched over them, that God has fulfilled his promises. They first go through the process of salvation. And then we get to Joshua 5. Now it's time to be circumcised. The interesting thing is this generation that we're talking about in Joshua 5, they had been walking with God. God had been providing for them. God had been taking care of them in the wilderness. God had been looking out for them. God is fulfilling the promises all before they were circumcised. And the New Testament makes the very strong point. We are saved by faith just like Abraham who was saved by his faith long before he was circumcised. So baptism is not necessary to be a Christian. You can have God as your father. You can have eternal life. You can experience the blessings of God without being baptized because the blessings of God simply come by faith. 
They come when we accept that God loves us, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, that when Jesus was raised from the dead, our sins were taken with him and we were given new life. Having said that, baptism is something that God commands every single believer to go through. And the reason he does it is not because it makes good logical sense. He does it because it's an opportunity for us to express our faith, and in that expression of faith, God can bring blessing. And so if you are a Christian, at some point, the Holy Spirit will impress upon you to get baptized. Because he's done it for every single true believer for 2,000 years across time and space. This is what God does is after he brings us through salvation, he encourages us and commands us to go through baptism. And really, it's the first thing that he wants us to do after we come to faith. That leads to question number two. Should people be baptized as babies or should they be baptized after they have come to faith in God personally? In Joshua chapter 5, Israel goes through the Jordan River first, which represents salvation, and then they're circumcised. This fits with the pattern that we see in the New Testament, that people come to faith in Christ first and then are baptized. And the pattern that we see, that we follow at this church, that we believe is correct, is that those who place their faith in Jesus, it's after that happens that you're baptized. Which leads to question number three. If I was baptized as a baby, do I need to be rebaptized as a believer in Jesus, whether you're 10 years old or 80 years old? The answer to that question from our church's point of view is we do not require it. We consider this to be something between you and God. And if you, by faith, are considering your infant baptism to be your baptism, we are accepting that as being between you and God. And we do not require that you become rebaptized as a believing child or adult. However, having said that, I was baptized as an infant. It was a choice that my parents made. I'm grateful that they made it. But when I came to faith in Jesus, I felt compelled by the Spirit to follow Jesus and to follow others in the New Testament who were baptized as adults or baptized as those who can make the decision for themselves. Likewise, in Joshua chapter 5, God does not command the children of Israel to be circumcised first and then take them into the promised land. He takes them into the promised land first and then says, get circumcised. So you, if you were baptized as a baby, may feel the Spirit compelling you to get baptized, in which case I would strongly urge it and encourage it. The church does not require it because we think that's a decision between you and the Lord. But maybe like me, You may feel uh, God's spirit impelling you, compelling you to do it. I would encourage you to obey. I should also say, which is interesting, look at verse 2. 
At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites. And what's that next word? Again. Now, you cannot literally be circumcised twice. All right, in the first sermon, someone actually gave an amen at that point. (laughs) It was really awkward. (laughs) But I figured I should share it with you so we've all had the same experience this morning. You cannot literally be circumcised twice, but it's very interesting that taking Israel as a people, this is a second circumcision. Individuals are not being circumcised twice, but God is saying for the nation as a whole, you were circumcised once, but out of tradition. You did it simply out of ritual. Now that you have seen my power, now that you've accepted that I am your God, now that you know that I will fulfill my promises, now that you've become my people for yourself, God says, get circumcised again. So if you decide that having been baptized as a baby, that perhaps maybe you walked away from the Lord or never knew the Lord or didn't have anything, you didn't live for him, you live through a period of darkness in the wilderness or in Egypt and you've come to faith in Jesus and you say, I want to be baptized now as a believer in Jesus, Joshua chapter 5 will give you the warrant to do it. And in Joshua chapter 5, God is saying, I want my people to go back through a ceremony that was only supposed to be done once. Because when they went through it the first time, it wasn't their faith. It was their parents' faith. It was tradition. It was ritual. It was something. So if you do feel compelled to do that, in obedience to Joshua chapter 4, God will bless them. It's between you and the Lord. And if the Spirit has not compelled you to be baptized uh, after you were baptized as a baby, that's between you and the Lord. If he does, we would encourage that or support that. Does that mean that every time after you've been baptized as a believer, you walk away from the Lord, you should get re-baptized when you come back? No. There's something we're going to see in Joshua chapter 8 that God gives to believers who after we stumble or fall can come back to the Lord and rededicate or recommit ourselves to the Lord. Baptism is simply Israel does it once when they come into the land, and then there are other things that God gives them to do. Fourth and final question. What if I have already been baptized as a believer or feel that the Spirit is not urging me to be rebaptized as a believer because I was baptized as a baby? What if I'm in that situation? How do I obey Joshua chapter 5 today? Is this only for people who haven't been baptized? The way we obey Joshua chapter 5 today is we learn the lesson of baptism and continue to live it out in our daily life. Meaning, number one, when you were baptized, you were asked by God, to obey him in something that made no sense to you and experience the blessing of God because of it. Today, you're probably being asked by God to obey him in something else that makes very little sense to you. And the encouragement of baptism is, obey. See what God will do. Number two, you're to remember that having been baptized, 
That was the sign that you belong to God. That God loves you. That he's responsible for you. That even if you turn away from him, he's going to pursue you. Because he has made a covenant that he cannot break. That he is going to bring you safely into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And that your baptism was an outward sign of a reminder that God is your God. He is your father and you are his child. He has a whole host of promises he must fulfill. And there'll be some twists and there'll be some turns. There'll be some times in Egypt. There'll be some times in the wilderness. But God will be faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And remember your baptism. Because it was a sign given to you by God that he has sworn on his existence, I will be faithful to you. And finally, if you've been baptized, whether it was a week ago or a year ago or 10 years ago or whenever, remember that ceremony was an outward sign that you have been cleansed from your past guilt. That when you put your faith in Jesus, not only your sins, but also the guilt and the shame are washed away. The reproach of your former life is gone. The mistakes that you've made since you've been baptized, the guilt and the shame in your life since you've been baptized, you are a new creation in Christ. That stuff has no power over you. You are no longer a slave to sin, whether you sin before you were Christian or continue to sin after you're Christian. You are God's holy and precious son or daughter. Joshua chapter 5. Be baptized. If you've been baptized, remember what it means.